Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. This is The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Imagine one day you go to school and find out that one of the boys in your class has done something to you that would possibly change your life forever. There has been a documented rise in young boys in particular making deep fake porn videos using the faces of the girls in their school, posting them online where they're then distributed across the world. The AI technology is now cheaper, easier to use and accessible. So can we possibly do anything to stop it from happening to any one of us? Today we talk about deep fake pornography and how we can protect our own likeness when it's used maliciously against us. But first, in news headlines for Thursday, November 23. The release of 150 Palestinian prisoners in exchange for 50 Israeli hostages is a deal that will be repeated later this month, according to Palestinian officials. The official who spoke on condition of anonymity said that would mean a total release of 100 of the around 240 people that Hamas seized during its October 7 attack that took the lives of 1,200 Israelis. In return, Israel would free a total of 300 Palestinian prisoners, a number corresponding to a list of women and teenage male inmates it published on Wednesday. The new deal is due to start today, with Israel pausing its almost seven-week Gaza war to enable the staggered recovery of 50 hostages, all women and children, and allow aid to enter to support Palestinian people. The new RBA boss, Michelle Bullock, has warned that inflation has morphed into something more homegrown and demand-driven. In a speech given at the Australian Business Economist Dinner in Sydney, Bullock said getting inflation back to target will take time, roughly two years, with the RBA needing to use its blunt tool of interest rates to hammer out inflation and bring it back below 3%. Bullock acknowledged the financial issues now facing many households struggling with large mortgages and a series of rate rises, but said the bank's obligations were to all Australians and so the board must set its policy to serve the welfare of all of us collectively. Coldplay may find themselves silenced, with Malaysian authorities discussing introducing a kill switch at major concerts if bands don't behave. After calls from conservatives in the country to cancel Coldplay's upcoming show due to the band's support for the LGBTQI community, authorities say they've discussed bringing in a kill switch with organisers so they can cut the show off if they deem it breaks the country's rules. The move comes after British band The 1975 performed in Kuala Lumpur back in July, the lead singer slamming the country's anti-gay laws and kissing a male band member during the performance. 
The first ever licensed radio broadcast in Australia happened on this day in 1923, audio from the day to be replayed to celebrate its 100-year anniversary. The original broadcast has not survived the century, but historians know the first song to go to air on this day in 1923 on Sydney station 2GB was this song, The Swan. It will be played along with a series of radio comedy sketches from 1926, a live call of the 1932 Melbourne Cup and a 1930s broadcast of a boxing match between Teddy Lawler and Taffy Jones as part of the Radio 100 exhibition. The National Film and Sound Archive will launch the digital exhibition today and is asking Australians to record a voice memo or leave a note through their website to share their most prized radio memories. This year may see a first for the Sydney to Hobart yacht race with a cat joining the crew, possibly for the first time. Feline Ollie's human Bob Williams has entered their boat still four into the race at the end of December, saying there was never any question about Ollie going along for the 628 nautical mile ride to Constitution Dock. Williams saying the vessel is his cat's home and has been for several years. And while he used to get a little seasick, he's over that now and will usually sleep for most of the journey. Ollie is believed to be the first cat to contest the Blue Water Classic, but with the race dating back nearly 80 years, it's impossible to trace whether a feline was ever on board one of the earlier boats. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. In October, a boy at a school in New Jersey in the US accidentally revealed to one of the girls that one of their classmates had done something a little naughty. I just started crying because I didn't know what to do. I didn't think this could happen to me. That's 14-year-old Westfield High student Francesca Manny speaking to CNN. What her fellow student had done was take a picture of her face and using AI technology created a deep fake version of her by pasting her face onto the body of someone in a pornographic video and then posted that version online. I didn't think it'd be one of my classmates. I thought, like, it would just be creeps online, but it was one of my classmates. And Francesca wasn't alone. The student, who's since been suspended, had done the same thing to at least 30 other girls at his school, putting their likeness out there into the online world without their consent and with potentially life-altering consequences. It happened to Kate Isaacs too, the founder of the Not Your Porn campaign. After successfully lobbying those who worked with Pornhub to pull their advertising, after it was revealed that many women appeared on the site without their consent, angry men retaliated for the website removing 80% of its content, creating deep fake porn videos using her face and posting them online anyone to go onto Twitter and see a video of themselves having sex with someone that they don't know and they don't remember having sex with in a situation they don't remember, like, 
as a woman, like that's terrifying. Like that's so scary. And then eventually the penny drops and you realize that's not you, but it looks like you and it could be definitely persuade a lot of people that that is you and you go through your reputation and you know what people think of you your family seeing something like that your employer like I'm not a full-time activist I have a career like I have to pay my rent that's a really scary concept Perth lawyer Noelle Martin appeared on the SBS documentary asking for it explaining how she had found out that she was also the target of deep fake porn I had found out about this function, Google Image Reverse Search. I just used an image of me in a black dress. I was 17. It was a selfie in a bathroom mirror. I saw dozens of pornographic sites that featured images of me without my consent. She says she tried to have the videos removed, but to no avail. They would just pop back up somewhere else. She says this is now a lifelong problem for her, impacting her economic freedom, her employability, her relationships and her physical and emotional well-being. It also happened to popular Twitch streamer Cutie Cinderella, who posted this video earlier this year showing just how badly it had affected her. I want to go live because this is what pain looks like. This is what it looks like. Okay. This is what it looks like. F*** the f***ing internet. F*** the constant exploitation and objectification of women. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. F*** Atrioc for showing it to thousands of people. F*** the people DMing me pictures of myself from that website. F*** you all. This is what it looks like. This is what the pain looks like. Okay. Deepfake porn creation is becoming mainstream and easier. Once the domain of those rich enough to use it to make Hollywood blockbusters, there's now software readily available online that will create a naked version of someone using just their face. Sometimes these AI-generated pictures are also used for sextortion, where someone is blackmailed for money in return for not having these pictures shared online. According to a 2019 study by Dutch AI company Sensity, 96% of deepfake videos online are non-consensual pornography, the vast majority of them depicting women. Experts are now warning that Australian schoolchildren have also been caught up in the AI tech deepfake porn controversy, with reports of both fellow students and even teachers' images being used in this way. So with the differing laws from country to country regarding this, what, if anything, can we do to try and put a stop to it? James Pertill is a tech reporter for the ABC and host of ABC Radio National's podcast Science Friction, Hello AI Overlords. James, it seemed like this type of technology used to be the domain of people with lots of money in Hollywood. Now it can be done by a teen in his bedroom on his smartphone. Just how easy are deep fake pornography images and videos to make nowadays? It's so easy. There's two ways. So one is people can download an app or software, just an app on their phone that will essentially perform a face swap function. You know, it's similar technology to a face filter that you'd use on Instagram or Snapchat. But instead of your face or a dog's face being put on, it's somebody else's face. The other way is people also contact professionals who can do a better job through channels on Discord and other chat services, and they might pay a bit of money 
send some photos and then they'll get a deep fake video in return. Without promoting the names of these apps and sites, because we really don't want to encourage people to go and seek them out, what sort of things do we need to look out for, especially, I guess, for parents of teens who might be seeing kids using certain sites that they really don't want them to and who might even be creating this stuff? Yeah, that's a good point. So there are a bunch of sites and apps, as I mentioned. A lot of them have deep fake or face swap in the title. So that's something to look out for. You know, if you're worried about what your child is downloading onto their phone, you can put blocks in place to prevent them, you know, downloading apps without your consent and so on. So that might be one option. I could mention the most well-known of these sites, if you like. Yeah, maybe just so people know what to look out for. The largest of them is called Mr. Deepfake. It's got about apparently 17 million users a month, thousands of videos, and obviously it's registered overseas. So that makes it hard for authorities here to take action. Well, let's look at that for a moment because I guess the thing that most people are most concerned about after the awfulness of having this happen to you is how do you then deal with it? Are we getting any better at removing things like revenge porn or deepfake pornography from the internet? Yeah, there's been a big focus on this over the last few years. It's been a few high-profile women who've come forward who've had deepfake videos made of them. And the eSafety Commissioner has made this a priority. They've got a very helpful guide on their website to what to do if you or someone you know, perhaps your child, is a victim of deepfake porn. And essentially, it boils down to contacting the eSafety Commissioner. Then they can talk directly with the platform and they have you know, good relationships with the big platforms like YouTube and so on. And they can work with them to get it taken down. I mean, these platforms don't want this content on there but obviously they have so much content that has to be brought to their attention. The uh, commissioner can also potentially fine the perpetrator. So that's another big step. So there's that option. And then there are a few other tools on the internet too. There's one called Take It Down. That was launched by Meta, as in Facebook, earlier this year. And that is where you can anonymously submit an image that you want taken down. And that image isn't uploaded, but a kind of a fingerprint of that image is then shared with all the partners of Take It Down, which is, in this case, Facebook, OnlyFans, and a few other sites, and they will work to get that image removed. It's definitely not perfect, and it's not all the platforms, so it won't go everywhere, but that's another option as well. Just finally, James, do you feel like where we are currently at with how fast AI technology seems to be improving as opposed to how we are regulating it, are we doing enough to stop it from doing us harm like we're seeing with this kind of deep fake pornography? When we heard about deep fakes, there was a lot of talk about politicians being targeted and so on, you know, and people were worried about that. But I think where people maybe didn't see it happening so quickly is school children using this kind of technology on their classmates and teachers and so on. So that's a sign of how rapidly it's moving. We were, you know, only a couple of years ago, we were talking about Barack Obama being deep faked and now it's school children. No, it's not moving fast enough. Regulation is way behind, particularly in Australia. We're only starting to discuss AI regulation. We're, you know, some experts say we're decades behind the US and Europe in this area. But, you know, the US and Europe are also <laughs> struggling to catch up because only maybe two years ago, I think the idea of regulating AI was very far off the agenda anywhere in the world. And now they are passing executive orders and, and passing legislation and so on. But the problem is that 
AI technology is developing much faster than parliaments and so on can keep up. So there's a new focus on building institutions full of experts, you know, maybe something equivalent to the International Atomic Energy Agency, but for AI that can act quickly as soon as the technology advances. Well, that seems like a science fiction movie (laughs) come to life. I feel like we are living in a science fiction movie right now. I mean, if you'd said, imagine this a few years ago that you'd be covering this kind of story. I don't know if you'd believe it, right? The non-consensual distribution of intimate images, including synthetic media like this AI tech, is criminalised in all Australian jurisdictions except for Tasmania. And just this week, the eSafety Commissioner, Julie Inman-Grant, released the draft standards covering services like Apple's iCloud, Google Drive and Microsoft OneDrive, as well as messaging services like WhatsApp, requiring them to remove unlawful content like deepfake pornography, which is being referred to in the cases of minors as synthetic child sexual abuse material. But while governments are doing what they can to try and rein in this wild west of new tech, what do we tell kids at school who've become victims without even knowing it? or who created those victims in the first place. Katrina Lyons is a psychologist and CEO of ACT for Kids, a support service for children or families at risk of harm. Katrina, how do we support a young person who may have become the victim of deepfake pornography? I think it would be quite shocking to see that, you know, what you thought was an innocent photo of you change to be something really quite challenging and and worrying and then shared. So people will need support around feeling helpless and out of control, you know, having no control because it's unlikely that you actually get the image back. Once it's in the uh, ether and the internet, that's it. You can't actually retrieve it very easily. And so people will need support for that feeling of shock and being violated and having absolutely no control over the circumstances. What kind of things can we do to help that person practically? Is it by just standing by their side? Is it can we take action that might be helpful? What's the best way to approach it? Certainly some of the action that might be helpful in terms of feeling like giving some sense of control is notifying the safety commissioner that this has occurred because in Australia the safety commissioner does have some powers of trying to retrieve images from if they're on known platforms you can report the um, incident. Certainly things to manage anxiety and distress like people to listen and acknowledge how you feel, support you with emotional support and family support, making sure that the person is doing things that make them feel good about themselves, like going for you know walks, exercising, spending time with people who care about them. It's a difficult situation because I think that feeling of not having any control is actually, you know, very hard to get past. And if it's, um, you know, a school-based incident, I would certainly report it to the school because the school needs to take a whole-of-community anti-bullying approach because if it has happened within a school community, it's bullying. Katrina, can we flip it around and look at the perpetrators of this They tend to be young boys when it comes to the school setting. How do we speak to young boys, young men about not doing this and about the implications it has for their potential victims? It's that same conversation about consent. The basis of it is, you know, you're taking away 
someone's right to consent to something happening to them, even if it is happening to their photograph. And and I think we have a huge issue in Australia with kids, but you know, particularly boys and young men, in understanding what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate socially and sexually. And we need to have open, honest conversations in homes where we talk to kids about what is and isn't okay and try and get them to have some empathy about how a person would feel if they were violated in this way. At Act for Kids, we've been trying to have these open conversations in community for a long time, but I think we're at the point where it's an epidemic in the country and we need to do something about it. Why is it an epidemic? Why are we having to have these discussions with young boys and young men now? There are a couple of reasons and the research points to, you know, a very complex kind of picture, but the openly available content that kids are viewing online now, sexually explicit material of all kinds, it is really, really easy to access. There are no age limits on, you know, being able to access pornography sites like Pornhub and kids have accounts on Pornhub and they can watch what they want. And so it sets, if there's not an adult saying to them, okay, well, what you're watching is not relationships or or even real sex. It's all faked for viewing purposes and paid actors. If they don't kind of speak to them about some of the things that they see, then kids think that what they're watching is okay, that it's consensual and that's how sex happens. So they think that you can strangle somebody or hit someone or spit on people or you know, they think this isn't normal and they don't have to ask for consent. And so I think that is certainly in our Act for Kids services, we are seeing more and more quite young children accessing a scary volume of um, online sexually explicit information and then it impacting their behaviour. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Madeline Joanno. 